Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Eurogamer podcast. I'm Bertie, your host. And every two, two weeks, I find someone spectacular from the world of games to talk to. Remember, supporters of the Eurogamer website get these episodes before everyone else, as well as things like ad-free viewing and exclusive articles. Check the description below for more. Today on the podcast, someone riding high on the success of their best-selling debut thriller horror novel, 16 Horses. But they're also someone who's grown out of games, writing interactive fiction, as well as for games like Metro Exodus and, most significantly, No Man's Sky. And they've got some exciting news to share. They are, drumroll, Greg Buchanan. Greg, welcome. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I uh, went to Disneyland last weekend. Um, Did you? Which was quite, it's quite fun, um, but sort of horrible to come back to normal life not because i don't enjoy normal life but kind of <laughs> i hadn't been on a holiday for years uh, obviously with the pandemic and everything um so there was sort of like the joy of just non-stop being on roller coasters um sort of faced by sort of reality uh was sort of so sad, this was why you were in quick. france uh, i assume it is yes i i was it depended on who i was talking to when i was talking about being on holiday so if i wanted to see more serious like oh yeah i'm going to france on holiday as opposed to like oh we're going to hotel <laughs> cheyenne in Disneyland, the Woody's Roundup, <laughs> sort of like going to theme parks all day. Um, so yeah. What was your highlight of Disneyland? Um, spending time with my girlfriend was very nice, obviously. Um, and um, we, um, we, we, our favorite ride is tends to be Thunder Mountain because it's that sort of right level of sort of gentleness and sort of excitement and stuff. I did develop a bit as a theme park attendee because I, in recent years, I, I hadn't enjoyed them as much since my early teens because of motion sickness. Um, but I, oh. I had a sort of hunch that so I take uh, quells for motion sickness, um, so in car rides and stuff. And I decided, well, I'll take the car medicine for the theme park and see the works. So obviously, not necessarily trying this at home, but I did that and it made the rides all good. So because I, I figured the motion sickness thing oh. would help with motion sickness rides, and it did. Um, so that was very nice. And I enjoyed, um, I'd never been on it before and I was I was quite scared of the idea of it. But I went on, I think it's called like Tower of Terror, the, the big, tall vertical drop one that drops okay. you like 13 stories um and everyone was sort of hyping up to me how sort of like terrifying it was and how scary it was and stuff. it was actually really good like most of it you can't see yourself dropping because it's in quite a lot of darkness um so and i read on i was sort of reading the queue of researching it whilst i was, I was sort of waiting for it <laughs> and you, apparently at no point you're actually it's all sort of trickery and that you're not actually free falling at any point unlike a lot of other free fall rides it's all magnets so a magnet is shunting you down ah. shunting you up which sort of creates an illusion. Oh. Apparently, that makes you feel more like you're free falling than an actual free fall because it has a like it gets you off your seat effect, which wouldn't normally happen or something. Um, and so there's a there was a lot of fun. So I I, I was kind of just like I said a very nice time on that. So that was quite fun. It was a nice face fears and sort of see that it was actually fine. Um, I didn't expect fun. to learn that in this podcast. Yeah, no, you've learned a uh, you've learned a uh, learns interesting. Else it's an interesting i just more power than the rest of the park as well as as well apparently so it's, it's a massive really? power draw because the magnets yeah 
let's all say. Well, so if you have something metallic on you, what like what's to stop that being pulled around? Like, I don't know. There were no warning signs. Or it's anything, a conundrum. Uh, effects, I suppose. So yeah, it must, I don't know how that how that would yeah I don't know how that would work. They presume you just die. <laughs> that's like that's, that's, that's why we don't know about it it's like yeah they just they hush it up <laughs> so it, it's also um uh it jars with my image of you having written um this book 16 horses which is um i'm not going to spoil anything but it's um it's dark it's quite disturbing um yeah it doesn't really let up actually and then the thought of that juxtaposed against disneyland is kind of jarring from my mind, but then perhaps this was the relief you needed after your uh, sixteen horses year or two, I suppose. Yeah, so it's interesting because, like, I'm in, and I have written. Is it interesting in terms of games? I have written for quite a range of games um, that in lots of different genres, but the ones I'm sort of best known for there as well are quite like dark existential fiction um, as well. So, um, and so there's, it's kind of interesting that a lot of my writing um, is sort of delves into that kind of existential kind of horror kind of what does it mean to die and live type territory and and so on um it it i think it's interesting in terms of some family and friends are quite surprised to sort of like read 16 horses in terms of like you okay greg <laughs> like afterwards in terms of like my everyday life um though i i have had the comment about the the, the surprise before because i was on my first ever kind of radio interview was on bbc scotland um and it was all kind of like there was a there was a kind of like a waiting room online thing. I don't know if they did this pre-pandemic, but like you, you have this online waiting room, you have to wait in and there they sort of tell you, oh. are you okay with the sound and stuff? Like gonna queue you in in a bit, you'll be on radio. Um, and it's like, you're gonna live on the radio now. Um, and um, she did some giant intro to me about 16 Horses and like how dark it was and stuff. And I had no idea what to, so I guess like at the beginning of this one, hello, kind of like, so on, on the radio, obviously when no one can see me, it's like huge, big, dark script. Like, oh, it's so dark. So I'm like, hi. Like, and like a really accidentally high-pitched voice like on the radio. And she like made fun of me on the air. So I was like, kind of like, oh, I didn't expect that. And so it was just like this kind of fairly, uh, um, but no, um, I mean, I am um, uh, either, I suppose I've got a kind of like a dual personality, one of which sort of comes out in, um, in writing my fiction, um, uh, I suppose. Well, I mean, I guess there's a sort of a, a, a kind of um, a different kind of methodical way of seeing the world that's w- worked on in that format that wouldn't really make sense in everyday conversation. Um, but um, yeah, and also no one would want to be friends with me if I if I talked like that. My personality <laughs> was somehow like it was in my books as well. So um, there's, there's that as well. Was it I mean, quite nervous? Yeah. Was it quite nervy sharing that kind of darker style to begin with? Because now people know you for it. I suppose there's a, you know that it's okay for you to kind of, I mean, it was always okay for you to write stories, but maybe you're more comfortable sharing stories you've written in that area now. But there was probably always a first time where you showed it and someone maybe looked askance at you like, okay. There were a couple of weird stories that were in like a university magazine, which I definitely felt like, what the, <laughs> yeah, what's this kind of like um, uh, <laughs> response for a couple of people. I think there was definitely a phase where, because when I started out story writing, I mean, as most people have written a story or two at a young age as well. So I'm not, it's not unique for me to say as you know, a little kid, I was writing stories. 
but um i um already gone to stephen king as a kind of young teenager uh-huh. um and then was doing very kind of like almost kind of like pulpy horror story type things when i was young and fantasy stories and so on um they did get up significantly darker i think because i started being influenced when i was sort of studying literature and stuff at uni and very levels and so on I, I started having quite like old-fashioned classical influences which made it pretentious at the same time as it did quite a darker and that is a different <laughs> way of doing it but then i sort of fought through the pretension and sort of came out the other side with lessons learned from those things but also with the original tones so i think when it was at its darkest was was sort of i mean i it's interesting because although 16 horses is dark there are sort of lighter aspects to it mm. in certain moments sometimes which come across still as dark because if you put a sort of a joke or lighter moment in something very dark it can kind of compromise almost surreal or bittersweet rather than necessarily <laughs> yeah. because of the, the tone it's interesting in, in terms of something not for my next book actually but something else i've been working on um for like a, a later thing um i've been experimenting with some quite interesting learning as a writer and, and trying out different styles as experiments on the side and stuff and trying to like okay. do that well even if i'm not going to necessarily release something i want to like can i do this form what can i learn from this form um, and I, I went to this, I, it, was, it was really fun. I went to this kind of like stand up weekend, like stand up comedy weekend thing, where like it was oh. all about like teaching you how to do stand up comedy as a thing. Uh, I actually ended up, I kind of wanted to mostly be there for the writing bit. I was going to kind of creep off before we had to sort of do do anything <laughs> in terms of life. I did actually, <laughs> Sneak I was out, to say, I did, I did the little performance. I forgot halfway through what I was saying, um, but I, I got I got the good, the good laugh for the moment that needed the laugh, which was good. Um, and okay. um it was, uh, but but it was a very interesting in terms of um, it was in a way which if I've sort of been watching very stand up specials and stuff recently as well, the, there's a certain formula to a lot of it that's extremely formulaic. Um, but but like in a way which it doesn't make it less funny. It just sort of made me feel like everyone's, including me, is really stupid. So like we're really basic in that. Like it's 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 not. It, it, it's it's very straightforward, I guess, is, is an interesting thing in terms of what some of the art does. Obviously, really hard to master and to do well, but the, at base level, there are certain structures which are being repeated, which I had no idea were there. Comedy was like a mystery to me in terms of, uh, beyond just making jokes every day life, like how that would be pre-constructed was, was sort of mysterious. Um, so it's very demystifying as a thing. And so I've been experimenting in another piece with um, trying to use some of the lessons from, because I thought ah. innately there's something quite similar about um, a stand-up routine where someone... So some of the key things about stand up without saying all the information, of course, it's sort of about um, uh, there's a certain element of things about repetition in stand up, like repetition is very key um, and um, relatability, to be honest, like someone just talking about something that, oh, yeah, I recognize that's happening in my own life. Like in very sort of, that's what I mean by straightforward. It's like very straightforward things that are excused well by sound comedy, but the basic things are the same. And I was thinking about, because obviously 16 Horses is written in the third person, you know, like she, he, yeah, that kind of perspective. You, you get access to their thoughts, but it's still a bit outside. Whereas another piece I'm working on is more interior, kind of first person ah. eye. And I'm really fascinated by experimenting with some of the things I've learned from the stand-up elements for a first person narrative voice. Not like they're doing, a, almost like they're doing a stand-up routine in like the way in which they're describing the world. Because it's, it's sort of the same thing. Um, and but the story yeah. I'm doing it for some I mean once again because I, I generally work quite stories some quite dark has happened to this person in terms of like what they're talking about but it's sort of hidden away in the midst of them just like talking about the area they live and all this like things like that 
and um, it's worked. I think it's worked really well. At least my agent and various people say it's working very well, which is nice because it's just also. <laughs> but I feel quite proud of it, and I feel like I did it. I did the thing quite well, but also I um, I'm sure I'll change my mind on that later because obviously in six months I'll be like I hate everything again. Um, but like right now I feel quite good about that, and I think um, the thing I'm really pleased with about it is it sort of it. It, it it it's technically funny, but because the material is in, it becomes in that kind of Pixar way, hopefully really bittersweet, where there's a sort of uh, yeah. a kind of a comedy thing that's being attached to something that's very sad, makes it combines to create a unique kind of emotional effect. Um, so it's interesting in terms of the whole darkness thing, because I, I think I'm still drawn to some of those topics, but I I've sort of already a bit, and I want to increasingly experiment with those other tones, mixing them in and doing different things to them. It's probably still in the menu being a kind of a darker thing, but um, like not necessarily pitch black all the time, but different kind of qualities, I guess. I think that sounds fascinating, particularly the idea of taking um, comedic formula and layering it over the top of something darker, which I suppose we've seen in, you know, films like, well, the Joker, not so much, but the comedian and stuff like that um, mm. many years ago. Um, kind of uh, wrong foots the reader a little bit where you suddenly their brain's like, I, I don't know where I am. Yeah, you're not uh, quite maybe. sure which, which how to respond to this thing. Yeah, I'm. Very, I think I think playing around with genre in that sense is something I'm very interested in. Um, but also, I I'm also quite interested in because there's a there's a big movement on. Well, we're all part of Twitter, aren't we? In terms of seeing the movements for everyone to discuss on Twitter, but there's a big thing in sort of game writing Twitter or narrative game Twitter of talking about like, oh, what you you use the hero's journey, you you know, these kind of classic story structures of like, um, so like Star Wars, for example, for those who aren't aware, was there's you can look up hero's journey Star Wars on Google and you'll see like there's a certain structure that people have intuited from stories based on reading older stories and it's like there's a little form like i did with the comedy thing they come up with a little formula for it for it and um it, it it's often seen by people as being quite reductive and basic and that oh, a lot of like cookie cut stories are made by people trying to use this structure and so on and mm. that's true and it's frustrating if someone's like oh your story doesn't fit this thing therefore you need to change it i can understand that frustration from people but there's something quite fun and quite interesting about story structures and story models and things people are familiar with um because people are familiar with them like that story structure though you may not want to do it is is a, is so common that people unconsciously recognize that they're in that kind of story environment when they encounter something that's following that but that's useful to you as a writer because you can call upon that in order to do things with it um, and and to know about it. It's, yeah. it's worth knowing about. And I, I think it, it's important for uh, people kind of developing as writers and stuff to kind of be aware of those things and know what they are without necessarily just being derisive immediately. Because it, it comes across sometimes, I think, as people being like, oh, look, I know what this thing is, but I know better because I do my own thing. Whereas it's like, oh, yeah, I enjoy we all like Star Wars, for example, <laughs> in terms of, you know, that use the story structure. And there's, there's other things as well which use them. And it's, it's just an inch. I, I find some kind of structures and models quite interesting. I guess as long as they're not descriptive and people say you can only write something like this, I think they can be quite quite helpful. Yeah, and it's nice to hear that you're not uh, necessarily, you know, you've had success with uh, with one thing. And it's nice to hear that you're not necessarily beholden to that particular style in the future. You know, you're quite open to experimentation. And in fact, you're very curiously, uh, you know, moving around and trying different things, uh, which is exciting I, from my point of view. And I'm sure it feels nice to you, too. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think um, I think so as well you, the the the, the thing with that as well. I mean, I, I suppose this is as long as people like pay me to do those other things. Then otherwise, I was like, oh no, I'll do the exact same thing again as well, so I can. You know, <laughs> so. so you mentioned um, that you're experimenting with this uh, comedic structure for for something else. Is that um, 
something uh significant like a book or is it something shorter is what's that thing it's a book it's not for the whole of the book it's more um this is something which i can't read quite too much because it's sort of um in terms of what's been announced for future books um because we announced a few weeks ago we announced um a sort of follow-up to 16 horses so it's got one of the characters in 16 horses one of the main characters um called consumed um so it's not exactly a sequel but it's set after in the timeline so you you don't have to have read 16 horses to enjoy that book it's just got another character in common with that um and it's a kind of another detective thriller sort of thing but it's a bit more gothic um, a bit more like a kind of okay um a bit more hound of the baskervilles sort of thing than um than 16 or 16 was a sort of seaside town out middle of nowhere whereas this is like valleys cloying middle of countryside old history gentrification like big kind of boiling flip pot which is quite fun um and um, so that's that's the next book um which is coming out next year and then after that there is another book which has sort of been announced but without a name or a topic it's just um but it's not related okay. to the first two it's something totally different um and of that my current plan at least it's all subject to change is um sort of two perspective characters or two main characters and one of them at least in the beginning um is the one who's been inspired by the the kind of comedy thing in terms of uh uh-huh. her kind of rational view of the world um, but the other character is sort of definitely not like a comedic character. <laughs> there might be there might be jokes, but that, that that's that's sort of on the other end of the spectrum. But that's also quite fun for differentiation in terms of the the reader's mind as well of, of following the two, and that they're quite different perspectives on the world. Um, but quite fun to put in the same the same story. But I'm I'm very excited about that one as well actually. But um, I uh, I I have to sort of uh, I think in, I, don't know, I think we well, sound like you're very busy. I'm technically allowed to think, say what I want about certain things. Because in games, everyone's always in non-disclosure agreementing you all the time, or it's not <laughs> really under that in novels. But I've sort of been trained by games to sort of keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so like, yeah. don't worry about that. Um, so um, another announcement uh, that you had recently, in fact, I think it was yesterday, although that won't mean much to people uh, listening to the podcast. But um, early March, uh, 14th of March, let's say, um, was that you will be a writer on the Dark Souls uh, tabletop role playing game. Yes, yes. Very, very excited. Fan- fantastic. So, um, I mean, how did that come about? And, and more importantly, I take from that or I assume from that that you are a Dark Souls from software fan. Oh, huge fan! Yeah, so I, I, um, I sort of like. I mean, I can't talk too much about things, but I, I was definitely sort of like contacted them, sort of being like, I love Dark Souls, um, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and um, I mean, I, I think actually, interesting on Eurogamer, there was an article a few weeks ago about some um, authors and games, and I was I was one of the interviewees in that, and I think I talked about Dark Souls in there actually, interestingly enough in terms of not okay. not my work on it but like the influence on my um on my style um i mean it's interesting because dark souls didn't necessarily invent some of the kind of storytelling things that it's really known for in terms of you know the, the classic item descriptions of fragmented lore that you have to figure out i mean interestingly so i mean i've got some magic the gathering art behind me um, and magic the gathering has sort of been sort of as this fantastic lore base it doesn't even need that much law to be honest it, it doesn't deserve almost the amount of how good the storytelling is <laughs> considering it's just cards and that but like it's really good so i recommend anyone who's interested in looking up law and i imagine the gathering law is amazing um uh, and, and sorry but that also sort of works off kind of fragmentary images and text and working out of things as well as uh, sort of um uh, spin of things um but i think th- i i love i mean obviously i love the gameplay of, of souls games and the kind of sense of achievement and and uh, kind of perseverance that you get um it was interesting i got in, i got i can't probably go into too much detail but i got in trouble at university um for like uh kind of <laughs> like 
downloading things with BitTorrent, etc. type stuff, which I'm already going to got in trouble. Um, <laughs> and um, I uh, um, had to go for like a disciplinary meeting as this years ago, but I got into to go for a disciplinary meeting. But the, the first Demon Souls game was sort of out in the UK that Christmas, and I had to wait over Christmas to get an answer. Uh, the like, the old PlayStation yeah, 3 one. Yeah, PS3 yeah. one, yeah. Yeah. And I was playing that over Christmas and sort of it was the first time I'd sort of been in trouble with something that I'd not told my parents that I'm not going to like, I'm not going to tell anyone, I'll deal with this myself. I'm going to be an adult, I'm going to deal with this myself. And honestly, <laughs> it did actually mean something to me playing Demon Souls in that period of time in that I, I remember even when I, I literally had to climb up this tower. It was actually literally at the top of the tower. I had to go have this disagreement thing. And I was like the kind of Demon Souls trading music sort of playing in my head as I'm sort of going up this tower. It's sort of perseverance <laughs> thing. So it's, it had a sort of place there. And I was very pleased when the, the PS5 re-release came out, which is quite fun to play. Um, but um, yeah, no, they, they, mean, uh, they, they mean a lot to me as a series. Um, the, I, the storytelling of them is very, in terms of the tone of the world um, and the, the kind of restraint, um, there's something which I really like going back from the first Demon Souls, but it happens in, I'm playing Old Ring at the moment as well, with um, the idea, I, I did a talk in Lisbon about um, so, like how to view game writing and, and, and uh, ways to like, you know, five tips type things to of random things to, to reconsider it. And I talked about the notion of a character being rude to you um, because there's a lot of a lot okay. of companies will sort of view the purpose of sort of game narrative as being almost sort of at a basic level tutorialization or, or kind of motivation for the player to engage with the gameplay and, and sort of guide them through. And there's a sort of wish fulfillment aspect, which I think some people think people want for that in terms of like, oh, you know, you are the hero, you've come to save us, yay. Like almost like kind of patting you on the back and telling you how great you are and wanting you to do things in some, based on what, yeah. at least in terms of what I think some people think it should be. Um, whereas Dark Souls, it's, uh, the NPCs in these world are often just quite, quite frankly, quite rude to you, um, and which is kind of very <laughs> rare in terms of someone actually doing it, uh, like some, saying something to you of like, uh, you know, um, I got called a nitwit earlier or something like that in Elden Ring by this priest guy. He was just like, oh, you came over here. You thought I was being serious. Like, but I told you to come over here. And it's kind of like, I was just like, what? Like, um, in terms of like, you know, it's almost like we paid them to be friends with us in this game for a while. And now they're being rude to me and like make me feel bad about myself. And I was very inspired by that in some of my early game writing, actually, in terms of um, uh, kind of like um, there was this um, uh, in No Man's Sky, there was this like, uh vikings like the warrior race um in the first update i did for them there's this this guy who talks to you and he's just like pretty off with you from the beginning and just how he talks to you and i remember seeing because i was like lurking on reddit looking around at the time and i saw someone talk about like wait what it was it was uh a, no it was a they posted a link to a youtube video it was a youtuber and i remember he was sort of um as various people do you know some people can't like, mash through text and like not read it and stuff but like I remember him stopping briefly when he saw one of the lines. He was like, "Wait, what? Why, why are you being like that to me, man?" In terms of this, this guy, and he sort of slowed down and engaged. And I, I really stuck with me as a moment because, uh, especially in Demon, Demon Souls, there's a. I liked the, that when you're talking to an NPC, if you just walk away or you decide not to continue talking to them, they'll act like you've been rude and like walked away, like "Oh, go away then" or something like that or whatever. And <laughs> it's it's almost like even if you're not interested in engaging with the narrative, it sort of makes that a narrative decision in itself. It's like you're a rude person because you've decided not to talk to them. And and it sort of makes you part of the story whether you want to be or not in a way that I think is quite sincerely sincere for people and, and connects well. Um, so I really enjoy that. Um, and um, there's a lot of, a thing I, I like about writing in general, um, which I try to do in each of the genres I sort of work in, is I quite like things to be, at their core have quite a lot of emotional resonance um 
which okay. everyone would say about everything. So you probably will meet a few writers who say, oh, I don't want emotions in my thing. Like that, that's an obvious, obvious thing. <laughs> but there's, there's ways and extents of doing that. And Dark Souls really commits to that at its core in that there's there's something that's very mournful. And the music's really good for adding to this. very mournful about a lot of their, the Souls kind of universes um, and people trying to do their best in sort of these situations, this kind of dwindling, how to face up to those things. There's, there's, there's a lot of kind of tones there that work really well. Um, and something I've tried to do in my games writing and, and in my own writing as well is to sort of the most, it's more like an orientation thing, I guess, and that the most important thing for me is the emotional core of how, of, of like almost atmosphere and emotion of characters united as one sort of entity, which I think it is in Elden Ring and then Dark Souls. Okay. It all feels like the mournful universe with mournful people and they're all sort of dealing with something and different sort of symbolic levels of about their personal life or about the universe. It's all sort of going through the same thing. Like the universe is going through stuff in like, in like a Dark Souls <laughs> game. Um, and and I, I quite like, um, it, it quite appeals to me working with those kind of things. So in, in 16 Horses, for example, the town of Ilmarsh um, is sort of... Um, God, the town of Ilmarsh is just such a rotten place. You know? Yeah, yeah. You, and, you and you could see, you could draw a connection between that and like my love of something like Dark Souls in terms of like this kind of place which has all this history, but it's something like wrong with the place and like that kind of um, um, is interesting. And in I, I, I was pointed out afterwards, interesting, there's another little fun fact that I wasn't aware of. Someone said, Oh, did you name it after Eel Marsh House from Women in Black and the E E L Marsh House ah, in Women in Black? Wow. No idea it was called that, but afterwards I was like, Oh, that's cool. And so it's like a little kind of coincidence and stuff. So um but um yeah it's this also of, not a yeah. nice place to go on holiday no not a good place at all no i found out my local <laughs> kind of um uh kind of geeky board game shop uh geek treat in um uh, gala shields apparently their upstairs is haunted i heard the other day uh as well as things in that day um there is someone came in and told them that there's a little boy ghost upstairs or something so wow in terms of yeah so the, p- the place i spend some of my time is apparently haunted as well now i found so it's a uh, so if you've ever need someone to play a game with just go hang out with a creepy ghost it sounds like i mean if there was a geeky ball game type shop good place to be if you're a ghost i suppose (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. if you're playing dungeons and dragons you can sort of just listen to what they're doing and they'll entertain you or whatever and yeah so those things you're saying about um like the souls like series um those things that appeal to you, that kind of core emotion, are those the kinds of things that you will take into creating or helping write um, a tabletop role-playing game? Because in my head, I'm thinking Dungeons and Dragons has all this lore and all this stuff sort of known and written down about how the world behaves. And that to me jars with this idea in the Souls-like games that that stuff is deliberately withheld um or, or given to you in fragments i mean I, I have to talk more kind of generally here about tabletop writing in general rather than specific sure. specific something there but i i i think i mean there is a distinction i think between the kind of dungeons and dragons house style sort of thing i think and some, what some other games sort of do in the space um I, I definitely see what you mean about some of them definitely being kind of like more kind of mechanically adventured focused in terms of we're going to do this thing and get this thing and you know achieve this thing i think games such as um and dungeons and dragons does do this in some things but i think certain games like um cthulhu call of cthulhu and more recently the kind of alien game which is fantastic um uh, kind of uh okay. tabletop game um so if you haven't done that definitely do that like it's a fun have a look at office night and all do that together it's it's really good um 
uh, the starter set. Okay. It's got this really good mystery in it. Um, but um, there, there's a kind of element to those which sort of almost, uh, and generically they're very similar, it has a sort of murder mystery element to them and that there's a kind of mystery and a sense of discovery um, in a kind of hostile world. Um, and you can, in terms of the way these kinds of emotions can be explored, and like the kind of gameplay I, su I suggested can be explored in such things is a, a mystery as a hook can be applied to more than just like a murder it can be applied to like a place and what's happened to a place and what you're discovering in a place mm. and the little incidental details of almost like if i was to draw an analogy to 16 horses almost like the world itself is a crime scene where something happened but on like a cosmic scale and then you're gonna find evidence of what's happened to the world which i'd argue some of dark souls is sort of in that something's happened here elder ring even more so actually in terms of playing it, it's like some like the, the shattering at first to the beginning it's like someone's something's happened here what's happened it's sort of the <laughs> basic question of the world that you start gradually filling in and which you'll probably finish off with some youtube video or or like an article <laughs> on, but you sort of get all the you're sort of getting all the details and i think in terms of um you could it's very compatible with that kind of adventure even that kind of adventuring dungeons and dragons experience to sort of uncover that kind of mystery through kind of environment through NPCs, through monster encounters, because they all sort of tell the story in Dark Souls as well. It's a very mechanically driven, although I said it was emotional, Dark Souls, the the, 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 the game is a sort of a very um, mechanically driven game in terms of it's, you know, it hardly uses cutscenes, it hardly uses, it does have some very good voice dialogue, but it doesn't use it very much to tell the, to tell its story sorts of things. The player sort of does that through the, in, um, so in terms of trans like how those kind of mechanics would work in kind of tabletop like things, um, I think I think that it's it's more compatible than it might seem um, that type of experience. Um, it's also down to I mean it's a very important with thing to remember with tabletop as well though is that it's sort of um, uh, you know the the players and the DM in particular are sort of creating this co-creating the story, which I argue a lot of the community do in terms of their kind of theory making and. Um, yeah. generation for um in, in the souls community um and i think um that's a really um important thing for games like this to kind of do is to kind of provide kind of canvases for people to sort of run loose with exploring kind of the, the dm's take on that world um for example in a particular game or or you know people who i mean i think people probably will play these types of games who aren't necessarily into dark souls but um you know people who who, who really like like the setting and know the setting uh, it was interesting i was in the shop the other day and we were talking about dark souls and someone said like what's dark souls we didn't know about it and everyone just started like spitting out all these kind of phrases like oh this is really dark but everything's dying and like but everyone had a really kind of excited sense of the tone of the world that came through very quickly and i think that's a, such an asset to bring to like a a role-playing experience if you were to play such a thing it's like everyone sort of knows yeah. the tone of what they're going to do in that kind of world and it's it's and it's a tone it's a world that's sort of um the dark souls world is really interesting and in it's kind of like i was guess i was saying with 16 horses where there's sort of a lot of darkness but there is some kind of almost humor but also some surreal aspects and things like that and that you know you've got like giant talking rats and cats in the dark souls worlds and and like lots of there's a lot of kind of silly like in Elden Ring, there's this giant jar who's sort of my best friend in terms of like walking around and talking to him. There's this giant jar man, like literally he's just a giant jar. I think he's called something like Alexander the Jar. It's sort of his character's name or something like that. And it's just hilarious. <laughs> like, but it's also this very mournful kind of like uh, emotional setting. And, and I, I think um, that because obviously some role playing experiences will kind of skew towards the kind of like elements of comedy and stuff. I think it's, it's bizarrely a, a setting that really is quite compatible with like, a lot of emotional elements that players might want to bring into their games or kind of build up and so on that 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 would work in different directions depending upon what the 
group makers because i mean those games are only as strong as as the group dynamic and what the dm is able to sort of do in terms of bringing to yeah. the to the game um and i certainly and i think a lot of um players will have had this as well i've had experiences that have been more kind of like mechanically focused i suppose in in certain games um like where it's like oh we're going to kill the monster or we're going to try and level up but I've, I've also had experiences where kind of unexpectedly kind of like sad or hilarious things have happened or you get kind of invested in certain elements like in one one shot run by um uh the game writer um george lockett it i, I my mentor in like i was this tiefling guard thing my mentor had sort of like been corrupted by something and i kept trying to hit him but like didn't like knock him out and i kept failing to do anything at all and then i just sort of like used my divine smite ability which like almost completely annihilated him but it kind of worked kind of like uh but didn't work yeah. but as a kind of storytelling moment although there's a kind of element of comedy to that as well it's sort of like in thinking about like the the what like there's it, it's sort of a very emergent organic form of storytelling yeah. where it's almost like we're all telling the stories the per the people who've like written the the rule book the people who the dm the players everyone's sort of co-creating the story but also the dice themselves and just sort of random chaos is sort of mm. generating it so it's this it's sort of everyone's telling the story together in some kind of big group and doing it and i and i think it's not the same as what dark souls like in terms of to compare like could a role-playing game have that kind of tone it's not exactly the same but there's an analogous element to like uh, a very kind of um you know I, I think i've heard someone compare dark souls to like an arg in terms of there's a big community kind of sort of things surrounding in terms of lore and discovering the very kind of esoteric quests and stuff like that and everyone yeah. talks about it together and even cooperating about entering each other's games you know in the thing and, and working together and i think that kind of spirit is quite not is, is like in the spirit of role playing if that makes sense i guess um yeah even though it's not mechanically yeah. identical yeah with that yeah so you have your hands full now with the with the dark souls ttrpg um you are writing a second book, uh, Consumed, and you have this third kind of standalone book uh, on the horizon as well. I saw mention of a, of a TV adaptation on your Twitter bio, and I wasn't sure where that fit in. Is that an adaptation of 16 Horses? Yeah, so, um, uh, so 16 Horses is being turned into a television show by um, Gaumont UK, um, and Gaumont wow. are sort of the uh, the people behind like Narcos and Hannibal and and lots of other things. Um, wow, they also okay. have a giant like Gaumont branded cinema in Disneyland, which I sort of like point out every time I walk past my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, Gaumont. Oh yeah, I've heard of them. I walk past like <laughs> like like um, like no one obviously gives like cares. Um, but um, uh, yeah, they're they're turning into a TV series and um, the not much has been announced about it yet. Um, uh, beyond there's like an article in Variety. Uh, which is helpful to try and get Twitter verified because they want you to have like three articles mentioning you prominently within a six month period. So I was like, ah, okay. A photo of me <laughs> on that. So I was like, gonna get a tick. Got my tick. I really cared about getting the tick. Like I was super obsessed with it. I got it. I didn't care anymore. Uh, at that point, I was like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's fine. But I just didn't have it. I was like, super. I need the tick. So so yeah, I got a TV show done, but like entirely to get my Twitter tick. And now it doesn't matter so now. Obviously, it's like yeah. So you have. <laughs> So you're involved with the TV show, not someone out. You're adapting it. Oh, so I'm not. Um, uh, we haven't announced anything about the kind of the writing okay. and the various things about the show. I'm definitely involved in a couple of different ways um, in okay. terms of what what's happening with it. Um, but I think um, I sort of I don't entirely know when, but like more is happening with it than has been announced. If that makes any sense, um, in terms of how far along these things go and stuff. But um, I, I am actually, although I said I wasn't NDA'd about the books, I am actually NDA'd about that area. Um, so, um, but um, I, I, um, uh, I'm, I think hopefully there'll be some more stuff announced in the kind of near future. Uh, there is sort of more stuff to share, which is quite fun and exciting. 
Um, and uh, yeah. Well, you're incredible, incredibly busy. Um, I'm also incredible. Is there anything though, else as, as your Freudian slip there, where you said I was incredible, is also true, obviously. But <laughs> well, maybe it wasn't even a slip. It's just a slip. It's um, just a compliment. So... You're also incredible. There you go. We both had. Oh, stop it! Oh, stop it! So, is there anything else that I've missed that you're currently doing at the moment? Um, so, I'm doing kind of one-off um, uh, video game stuff, kind of intermittently. Um, but not everything's announced at different okay. times. Um, but I, I sort of there's an interesting thing with No Man's Sky where people keep on being like, oh, Greg, it's this tweet about No Man's Sky. And I'm like, no, I'm not working there anymore. But then we're like, I've, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. But then I will like actually be contracted at some point down the line and then be like, oh, actually, I did do some some more stuff. And that, that's happened like four times now. So like no one believes me when I say I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but uh, there was an yeah. update for that that came out uh, a bit ago, uh, which I contributed to, which was quite fun. Because um, there's been some long running kind of um, uh, law elements stem back from the big story I did a few years back um, about this kind of mystery involving certain elements of the game. Um, and there's most recent update has sort of like really pushed a lot of that forward and stuff, which is nice to sort of, um, I sort okay. of, I'm never quite sure like what people know or don't know. And I don't want to like spoil things online, but, um, I, or like what they've managed to uncover, but I'll occasionally check the wiki to sort of see progress in terms of like, <laughs> obviously you can't confirm whether things are accurate or not. Like how, what have they put together or like, what have they like in terms of like, what do they know and stuff? Um, so that's been quite, quite fun. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was released. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm I'm doing some sort of more short story stuff as well um, on the side. Um, that's a bit. Okay. My my main focus right now um, is stuff for kind of like um, uh, my next novel and uh, the uh, Dark Souls um, uh, stuff that got mentioned, um, and other things are sort of um, around. But I'm sort of trying to the the net the third novel because I'm still trying to get the style right. I'm sort of intermittently working on when I'm sort of blocked from my current novel so i sort of switch because the style is very different so i sort of work on that instead it's like a little holiday from it um but i'm sort of trying to get it's very it's it's there are a lot of dark stuff in it but it's very um like i think people who've enjoyed my previous writing would definitely enjoy this but it's it's a bit out there compared to what you might expect from me having written two kind of like detective novels my first novels like it's not oh, okay like a norm there is a detective aspect to it but it's not a normal we revisit this one down the line when i described it but it's not a normal like detective novel in any way so it's yeah. like a kind of a very it's a bit out there and quite ambitious and stuff but i think it will be good hopefully uh, fantastic so I just want to rewind a little bit and kind of chart your path to how you how you ended up in games, how you ended up uh, writing books. Um, from what I've read, you know, you, you studied English at, at Cambridge. Um, you that was went where I went up the MA. giant tower and got told off. You went up the giant Dark Souls <laughs> tower and got told off. Uh, Demon Souls yeah, tower. Yeah, yeah. Um, you did a, an MA in creative writing um, and then you did um, a PhD in... I'm going to have to look what I've written here. It was in identification and ethics, yeah. I think. Is that is that right? Um, so when you were a kid, when you were little, Greg, um, did you always have this idea of of becoming a writer? It seems like you had quite tunnel vision on 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 this kind of thing, or 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 not. So yeah, no. Um. So I um in my early, I think partly when I got into Stephen King, um and um. Because interesting story with the Stephen King thing. So I was already writing, and I, I got you know praise from my teachers and my family for like, oh, Greg did a story, let's read the story type thing. So from a young age, trying to seek family approval. Very like, dark and disturbing. Um, See me yeah. after the class uh, and stuff. Um, it was mostly at that era when I was like, I was still happy when I was eight. So I, I wrote stuff like 
sci-fi <laughs> stories where everyone was had suspiciously similar names to my friends and so on. Um, and um, but um, we, I was quite precocious even then. Like we did this, I did this like school newspaper. We got printed when I was like in primary school and stuff. And we sold at the school fair, but I was just doing that. But they sort of gave us some time off lessons to do it, which meant more people started getting involved because um, they were uh... it was a bit of a racket in terms of everyone sort of like <laughs> heading off to this other room. Um, and um, but yeah, um, I, when I was about like twelve ish, um, I was hit by a car outside my school. I was completely fine actually. Interestingly, I was concussed, but otherwise there was no actual injury. Oh wow! Um, but um, I was brought to hospital for sort of be checked up um but I, I got hit at a lucky angle we think but i was knocked unconscious for a bit but i was fine but um when i went to the hospital wow. and stuff um uh, my dad had some books on him that he used to like read and so on and there was like the first dark tower novel by stephen king and on writing and various other things i was all sort of flicking through them. i got super into dark tower um possibly a bit young but like um it was really good um and um i wanted to read on writing and i sort of got quite i think when you're at that age as well you sort of like trying out different kind of personalities and different things because you know you're forming your own i was very into his descriptions of, <laughs> i'm still doing it yeah and what his descriptions of being a sort of novelist were like and like because I mean, it's a really good book for that and that like, he describes like what being a novelist is like and what his life's like and stuff so i was like oh yeah i'm gonna do i'm gonna do like stories now. i'm gonna take it really seriously um and um <laughs> i i then had that ambition um i did i got quite downcast about the ambition actually when i was um in my university days and particularly early on because I, there's a sort of a dream meets reality type moment that happens right. where i wasn't producing the kind of material i sort of like my i peaked when i was sort of 12 sharing stephen king rip-off stories um <laughs> and then i was being in a way which sounds pretty to say but it was true and that that's what i was reading at the time when i was being like paradise lost and like geet or byron and all those kind of classic things i was trying to be influenced well i wasn't trying to be influenced by them i was being but like in a way where i didn't have enough grasp of writing to be able to do the influences i was trying to yeah i was engaging okay. with but also where people to be honest it, it goes back to what i was saying about certain storytelling models being what people are used to and what people enjoy you know, expect to read it wasn't in the correct format for what people are wanting to engage with so um okay. not only was i having to learn stuff about writing and not being able to do it well enough almost if i even if i had done it as well enough as i wanted to the story then it still wouldn't have hit um so i i was sort of going through a bit of a hump with all that stuff and i was sort of I was thinking about other, like, I was still going to be writing, but um, I was like, mm, you know, I'm going to have to get a job at some point. And I sort of stayed in academia at <laughs> various points because I was like, well, maybe I'll try and become an academic. My doorbell just rang, but I will, it's it's just a package that they'll just do. Um, uh, I'm not sure if that was audible on the tape, but whatever. Um, um, it's fine. But um, uh, yeah, um, so um, I was thinking about getting into academia and I realized that there was essentially no money in academia and they didn't necessarily treat you. There was a whole, so I, I kept having these various confrontations with university authorities throughout the year. And, uh, so I had the, the, that one. Um, in my PhD, I had this kind of weird experience where I sort of, because um, my PhD actually looked at video games and novels as well together, even though it was an introduction oh. to PhD. And it was all about sequence and how the sequence of the sort of TLDR of the whole thing was you have far less control in video games than you think, than people classically think you do. And you have far more control okay. of whatever we mean by control in novels than you think you do. Um, and the auth the authored nature of a dual of a branching narrative story, the fact that it's not like you're choosing what to do in some space where you can choose anything. You've been given different routes of a pre-authored story to go down and so on. And it, it analyzed all that stuff. Um, and um, but I had this awful so you have to have this kind of viva final exam where you have to talk about it. And I was expecting to be kind of challenged on what I'd sort of written about in the in the, the PhD. You know, like, oh, I'm get some challenging questions that are going to throw me off edge. It, <laughs> it ensued a three-hour-long 
thing, which went was just like this like non-stop attack. Um, and um, <laughs> this kind of like um, uh, where they didn't want to talk about the video game alone at all, really interestingly, like the video games are hardly discussed, like surprise, surprise in terms of like the academic uh, kind of things. But then yeah. when they did, there was this there was this really weird bit where they sort of because um, I talked very briefly about the foray surrounding the um, a lot of stuff about feminism as well, the foray surrounding um, uh, the Tomb Raider, you know, the, when the first Tomb Raider reboot game came out, and they were like talking about protecting Lara and whether you are Lara, or you're protecting Lara, and that whole conversation. And I talked about that conversation. It wasn't me analyzing Tomb Raider. I was just bringing up that debate surrounding how that was discussed to, in order to look at what yeah. that meant in terms of like, are you the character or are you protecting them? That type of thing in terms of your relationship to a character, in terms of how you identify them. And then one of the examiners sort of like printed out the the an article where they were like have you mentioned this article in your thing? And I was like, what article? And they wouldn't actually even let me look at the article that they printed out. And there's this whole big kind of thing that was this massive horror story. Because everyone's always like, oh, Vibers are fine. If they don't like the PhD, they'll just give you some corrections to do and you go into, this is this like three hour long inquisition thing. Um, wow. And interestingly, the university ended up almost overturn basically overturning the Viber in that I was asked to write a report on what happened. Because the fact it had been three hours without any breaks was already a break of exam yeah. protocol. Um and um, there were a lot of questions about because like this had been signed off as a PhD by like two quite high ranking academics who'd sort of helped like you work on it, who'd represented it. So it was like the idea that it wasn't like there was one bit where it was like, oh, this material is, is like uh, and this one chapter is like, you know, undergraduate level type stuff. And that was actually chat published in a book, <laughs> like an academic book, the bit they were talking about. Wow. Stuff. So it's just a really weird situation. Uh, it was very upsetting and distressing at the time. But I, I was the whole thing was sort of um, uh redone with new examiners to sort of like give me a more of a with a, an invigilator and people present to check the rules are being followed and so on and it was ridiculous because the second time around i just passed so i went from being told not to like do it all again to like pass again but it was a kind of a bruising experience that really put me off academia to be honest in yeah. terms of like but also the ludicrousness that two different examiner sets could have such varying opinions sort of bring the whole thing yeah. into um, interestingly, actually, um, I sort of became friends with uh, or uh, um, was no uh, Rihanna Pratchett like years later, and so so this examiner who was ah. waving at this Tomb Raider thing at me, I was just like, I know her now. I was like, <laughs> sort of like, you say I don't know this thing. I know the person. Who's the... Um, and um, uh, but yeah, um, so that really put me off academia. But that was sort of my backup strategy. Sort of, which didn't really make much sense to be honest. Okay. Um, in terms of, I was going to write and I was going to be an academic at the same time or something. Um, and then um, I, uh, around that time that was happening is when I actually wrote my first kind of, uh, I'd got involved in game jams um, and I'd been involved in my first. Right. Yeah. So, so where are, where are, where are games, so games, are they um, a part of your childhood? Do they sort of hit hard and fast? Are they a sort of through line for you uh, the whole time? Um, or is it, was that something that you came to later? Where did they come into so yeah life. so I'm, i i enjoy as most people probably you know um enjoy games throughout my life so i had a sega mega drive uh when i was younger and sort of progressed through i kept asking for sort of well debatable according to your opinions and sort of how hipster everyone is but like i always chose like the wrong console in terms of like i always chose the one that like, <laughs> didn't do well but like hipster like it's gone very hipstery but my parents always got me the other one so like i got a ps1 when i really wanted an n64 ah. and i got given a ps2 when i really wanted a dreamcast and all that stuff so i was like kept being given like the other things so then my parents knew what was going <laughs> to succeed in the console wars uh throughout the generations um and um uh yeah and i i was i was especially into like final fantasy when i was younger um uh, you know the kind of classic seven to nine 
Um, and then I um, I got really, I was really into Kingdom Hearts, especially when the, the PS2, the first one came out, uh, to the extent where I won a contest for fan fiction on uh, the kind of wow. uh, infamous early, it was like a very famous early Kingdom Hearts website that sort of fell apart due to this kind of weird, you know, like the old PHP, the message boards drama type thing. <laughs> yeah. um, it was uh, called the Anson Report and it kind of all fell apart for those reasons. But I was, I became a moderator on there and I was doing Kingdom Hearts fan fiction back in the day when I was like, 13 or something um and then um uh i um i sort of went off gaming for a bit when i sort of had this ludicrous this, this girl i thought i liked but in retrospect she was actually just my friend i was just i just to say i had a girlfriend i think she was just my friend um but uh, not even in terms of the interests being in the wrong direction i was like yeah i just she was basically just my friend but i was like once trying to impress her or something so i like ended up like very misguidedly for her birthday giving her my ps2 because I thought, like, oh. kind of like I was like, oh, he's the president of this PS2. She liked the PS2. Didn't have a PS2 anymore. So then things kind of fell apart for me in the gaming sense there for a bit, because I was sort of being strapped by, well, as girls, probably, basically. Other thing. Um, and then I sort of f- fell off gaming for a bit. Um, and then, but I got a PS3 later on uh, when I went to uni, like a couple of years later, and got really into, like, MGS4 and, like, lots of um, kind of Dragon Age and all that lot. And so, yeah, no, so it's been mostly a through line, apart from that period where I gave away my PS2 to try and impress someone uh, for some reason. Um, and, uh, like, the things we do when we're sort of, like, 15, 16. Um, um, and um, yeah. uh, and then um, I uh, was I never actually thought about going into video games or like um, like it felt like quite an impenetrable kind of like uh, how would I even do that type world. Um, but I was living in um, yeah. so I, I sort of analyzed them a bit for my PhD because I thought they were mechanically quite interesting in terms of characterization, like the idea of an avatar you controlling someone is really interesting. To, like arguments about how characterization works in novels and films are sort of resting certain assumptions academically and if you throw games into the mix it's sort of like so seen as being so different but it sort of opens up a lot of questions for cross comparison mm. and the more you can show things are more similar than you think the more it tells you about everything and the set of things you're discussing i think um and um so yeah, I was doing all that and then I was living in Guildford because my uh, partner um she sort of started doing uh, a course at the the University of Surrey for a year and I was sort of being just dragged around doing my PhD or doing different things and sort of working as a private tutor in my spare time um and I went along to she really pushed me to go to the game jam in town uh, which is sort of for those who don't know it's like a 48-hour event where you all make games with a bunch of people um and um I sort of never done yeah. anything like this before but I sort of went along with the only the confidence of a kind of sit up white man uh, sort of walking in there being like I'm a writer I, I just claim what I'm doing um, without any kind of like stuff to back it up with um and I freaked out and started profusely sweating so I didn't quite have the confidence I thought I did in terms of just proclaiming I could do this thing <laughs> um and we created this horribly broken thing um that was produced but I I met a bunch of people there that um were sort of um uh were professionals as well as amateurs and it, it sort of made it although i didn't know what i was doing and i had to learn a lot of stuff afterwards the confidence was definitely misplaced um it was a useful way of sort of it becoming approachable and actually having i'd made something but it was it was, it was rubbish but it, i'd made it and i always tell people now in games that the just make something and you've already done way more than most other people will ever do um and i um yeah uh i started kind of making friends with people in the community in guildford because it's a big games dev community there and around the time of i've been given some feedback about my novel writing at the time um saying something like you know i think you're stylistically very good but you know where's where's the emotion where's the heart in this where's you where, where are you in your own writing why don't you want to write about yourself in this kind of very psychologically <laughs> challenging uh 
interrogation. Um, and so I was like, next time something comes up, I care about, I'm going to do something about it. And I ended up writing a bit, a kind of a kind of quite surreal, moody piece about Brexit. It, it wasn't really so much literally about Brexit. Ah, uh, I played a oh, bit of it. Yeah, it wasn't literally about it so much as like yeah. the spirit and the, the mood around the time and so, so on. Um, like Jacob's Ladder, but Brexit sort of thing. Um, and I did that. And I think the timing was very good as well, because I think some places wanted to cover something Brexit related. And it was a serious execution of something Brexit related in the video game space. But um, it got covered on a bunch of places like Taku and RPS and stuff. And then it it helped open some doors. I also was working on stuff for the American election afterwards in terms of further exploring kind of political themes. Um, and those sort of like got me known, um, especially because it was like, it's interesting because with the 16 horses, because there's some stuff that's about, it's about how we treat animals, partly 16 horses, as well as a lot of other stuff. And like um, the kind of hypocrisies of kind of like you know, sentencing laws and how we how we respond to an animal death versus a human death in fiction and so on versus how we treat them in real life. Um, and um, but I'm always accused of doing stuff like, oh, people just don't do that. You just don't do that. So like the New York Times review of Six Horses is like, Craig Buchanan fiercely had some animal stuff in his book when no one ever has animals harmed in their books ever or something. I was like, I just did it because I wanted to kind of explore that, and it felt like something really interesting to kind of um, go into. Because yeah, I've got some cats running around the hallway, like harm to animals and stuff. Is it is very harrowing, but then that's something that should be explored and grappled with in terms of what we do in our everyday lives that can contribute to that in a way that we'd rather not think about. Yeah. Um, and I think um, in regard to the Brexit and um, thing, like a lot of the, it was an, I was an interesting hire choice for some contracts early on because it's sort of like, especially in the games industry having done stuff about like kind of quite hot button political topics in quite a full kind of like full on way could like have been a risk in terms of like, uh, you know, oh no, this SJW Crypto Cannon has like, uh, it's bringing the values <laughs> to this company. But it's really interesting in that like, they're both very, very kind of like uh, critical of certain um, things, but American election, we um, we had exhibited- this is, uh, For people who don't know, oh, incidentally, these are some interactive uh, fiction pieces, which I'll link in the description. Uh, they're on Greg's, Greg's website, can't speak today. And you can play them for free. Um, quickly in a browser so and they're like 20 minutes long roughly something like that so yeah, well brexit is an election is like an hour or two so the, 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 oh, well, but but if you but just uh, yeah yeah but the other one is um but you can you can go back to it as well if it it sort of sort of saves it in browser but i sort of won't make i mean you didn't pay for it anyway so which is safe but it's the thing but it sort of saves it as well so you can sort of do it more sessions but i can't i would held liable for if you're saving it um but like um uh we we exhibited at this um adventure x in london um we were one of the selections there and there was a really interesting moment where someone told me that like oh this really 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 like um like uber kind of trump supporter guy is like playing the game now like he's like oh no and like he was just he was really interesting he was played it he played a bunch of it and he got up and he asked a few questions and he left but he wasn't like i think sometimes people regardless of what we agree or disagree about political views, I think sometimes people are sort of caricatured about how one might imagine they might respond to something. But there was mm. also this kind of um, online, from a certain gaming movement, this online kind of like, oh, gonna examine political games or like uh, SJW games, we're gonna like rip them apart type stream, which I sort of like ghosted in on to sort of watch. And um, it was interesting because it sort of, um, they were sort of almost started to try and attack it and the game and stuff. But like, the game is sort of from a perspective, uh, American elections from the perspective of someone working for Trump. So it, it analyzed, or a Trump type figure 
not Trump, it's like Truman Glass, but like yeah. a, a figure in that kind of mindset. Um, and there is a distinction actually in terms of like, it's not Trump directly, but clearly someone inhabiting that type of role with a lot of similarities. Because um, you don't want to do the real life figure either because you can't explore quite as much character stuff as you can if you made them up in terms of like what you can change and do. Um, but like, they were just kind of fine with it in the beginning, in the end, which I'm not quite sure if that's an artistic success or an artistic failure in that. <laughs> it means I've ventriloquized the universe well enough to not caricature completely the things that they were the way they viewed reality because i think someone was like well that does just sound like the real life equivalent you know in terms of that character but equally then there could be like did it challenge them enough or is or is that the way to challenge things in terms of to inhabit the space and then kind of explore because i suppose i didn't create those things to they're political games but they're i my my Thing I was most interested in doing, just like I was talking about with the other games and novels I've worked on, is to kind of emotion exploring certain emotional cores and things. So it's an emotional exploration of some characters involved in the situation, first and foremost, more so than like a, a diatribe. And I think some people expected it to be like a diatribe where I'm trying to force yeah. my views on people, whereas it's not. I mean, it, it does explore a lot of things and hypocrisies in them, but it's, it's about people involved. And I think ultimately that's what sort of can sometimes give um, political stuff a bad name is 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 when um people feel like they're being if people feel like they're being preached to it's never going to work i think at least at that level because you've immediately you're just talking to people you converted already or whatever i mean there's some very yeah. meandering thoughts relating to that and stuff but um i i was doing all that and then um i got involved in the guilty games community and then um based on that i um ended up getting an early contract at um for a few months at supermassive games who obviously did until dawn and everything like that and um hello games um i was initially signed up to do their sort of their second kind of very short update to add vehicles to no man's sky and i wrote this very kind of like i basically i was asked to almost sort of do a vehicle tutorial for it and that like um vehicles <laughs> are being added and they wanted a quest line rate of the vehicles sort of the basic level thing yeah and i sort of added essentially the first like branching narrative choice in the game at that point and that um it so what was a vehicle tutorial so it's kind of harrowing drama about this kind of aliens family and like political freedom in terms of like he's he's like fled because there's this whole heresy in his like people and stuff like that and he's a heretic and there's all this stuff um and um that was I, I i think i did fairly well with that and then i sort of ended up just sort of staying for a while so i was basically hired for that and then i ended up I sort of mostly in-house for about can't remember exactly i think about seven months um and then I've intermittently done stuff since. And and then after that, my novel stuff, a uh, bit of it was, was in a collection. And part of what I was working for my novel, it was in a, in a kind of anthology. Um, and then that got picked up by sort of agents and stuff. And then that sort of took over as the main thing. So I, I've sort of been working on games and then sort of okay. shifted to doing novel stuff as well. And then I'm sort of doing a medley. But it, although it sounds very methodically constructed, it's sort of, I've been doing the right things, I suppose. But like, it's all sort of organically arisen yeah whilst being in the right places if that makes any sense i guess so when did you when did you begin working on 16 horses when when did this idea arise and when did you sit down and put pen to paper i suppose um so um as part of the creative writing course i was doing i um started writing about the place where 16 horses is set this town of Vilmarsh. that came first um, and originally it was going to be almost this kind of middle marchy kind of requiem for a dream type um, thing about a bunch of different characters and multiple stories going on in this place and kind of what's happening as this town almost collapses. Yeah. Um, and some of the characters and some of the levels, almost sedimentary levels of that plot are sort of present in the novel in terms of the the, the, the world building work done for that. Yeah. Um, and I was working on it all and I wanted something to kind of start this off that felt almost like an omen. 
you know, the whole idea like a two-headed lamb has been born type thing or, you know, in like weird portent. And um, because I'm quite interested in deconstructing genre or kind of, you know, like I was saying with the comedy stuff and analysing how things are made, um, with those things often typically something happens with animals. It's normally a sign, something wrong with the natural world shows that something's wrong with like the political world or the town or the people or whatever. Um, it's a sign of sickness. Um, and so I wrote a very prototype version of the opening scene of 16 Horses with like a policeman and a farmer walking along. Um, some of the lines actually made it in, though it was quite transformative, but some of the elements made it into that scene. Um, like di certain diversionary chats that they had were like present in the initial draft. Um, and, um, but they were going to walk along, they were going to find something. Uh, initially, I wasn't quite sure what they were going to find actually when I did the very early okay. prototype version. I was just sort of trying to like, you know, find something. Uh, and then uh, I was almost in the space of doing like deer or something like that or cows or something that you'd expect to find kind of like possible. Like mm. it's interesting you found a bunch of dead cows or even dead deer. It wouldn't have been anywhere near as dramatic as finding horses, even though visually they're not entirely dissimilar. Um, and yeah. that really, the more I thought about that, the more that really fascinated me about why we would have a different response to and there's a lot of stuff in the novel that sort of points it out and that there's they're they're talking about like who killed the horses in a pub whilst there's a bunch of deer heads kind of mounted on the wall and stuff like that. And it's like <laughs> this kind of really strange scenario with certain things being privileged over certain other things and so on that the novel sort of tries to draw attention to. But um it felt like a very fertile thing to explore. Um and um one of the things I was working on and one of the, the, the big threads um quickly became linked to that in my mind in terms of that what was going on with that and um as the inspiration and so on. Um, so the horses and that plot were kind of pretty much going to be part of it from like that very early stage in addition to other stuff going on. Um, but then whilst I was sort of sharing stuff with the class um, and with the other people I was doing the course with, there was very much a kind of like, uh, why don't you just do the horses? Like you're making this too hard for yourself, just do the horses. Ah. Um, and so it's like, um, um, and I was like, oh no, but I have to do my giant ridiculous like thousand page kind of like thing. Like, um, so I just do the horses. Um, and they were, they were essentially correct and it would have been very overworked to have more. Um, and um, it's also finished now as well, which it would not have been <laughs> like a, I done my kind of crazy Byzantine kind of tone. Um, but I think that kind of levels of, of stuff were quite helpful in terms of um, building up to that and um, a big influence actually on the 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 universe of the novel um, and the way it's all depicted is there's um, it's a novel as well but the, the film uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock um, it's really good know. if people haven't seen it um, but it's it's kind of it's about this kind of disappearance of these girls from this um, mount of this hilltop. Um, in Australian outback in like I think it's the 1950s and set but it's some kind of older uh, decade um, and they go missing and you don't find out in the film what happened to them you don't find out in the book either what ah. happened to them. Um, and it's just really I mean I'd never be allowed to do that in a novel because like that's not like you're not supposed to not, not reveal things um, but like that sense of kind of dread of like the complete refusal to give you revelation um, but also that kind of um, the real stress of the novel is about it's very atmospheric in terms of the film and the way it's all depicted and stuff but the real stress of the plot is on how everyone deals with and freaks out after that happens and the refusal to like find stuff out. And um, one of them turns up later, but she claims to not be able to remember anything. And there's this whole kind of like, is she telling the truth? Is she not? Ah. Like, is someone possibly supernatural? Is it not? And this whole set of vibes and stuff was really influential. And you probably see how that was influential for something like 16 Horses. Mm. And I also, um, in terms of the way I was treating crime and a horror as well, is a lot of, uh, in terms of how I was responding to the genre, a lot of crime novels are quite, uh, and crime stories, are quite um, sanitized um, in that they often have quite dark stuff, especially at the beginning in terms of the gruesome crime scene or anything. But then it's like the forces of order in the form of the police arrive and they make it safe for you, not only by arresting the person, but by figuring out why they did it and sort of like restoring order to society 
after removing the bad element. Um, whereas yeah. horror is a very different relationship to stuff like that, in that it's often inexplicable, especially in terms of the horror where you don't have a supernatural element, where it's kind of slasher or things like that. There's a kind of element of like where the police are at risk and the police are unable to solve it um, as well, which you don't normally get in a kind of crime history, even though technically it's also still criminals and people doing stuff. And I actually think that certain elements of how horror treats stuff is more accurate to the real life kind of experience of a crime or violence or so on than than the ordered mystery. The ordered mystery has a power mm. fantasy to it, but it's not necessarily real. Um, and I wanted to, um, I've sort of been adjacent to some real, uh, my bit torrenting nonwithstanding, um, the, um, the the kind of real life things in terms of I've been a witness to a couple of things. Um, friend, please do was oh. Once I was staying in my um, uh, girlfriend's uh, flat during university and um, a man actually tries to like break into the front door to like beat or like get out oh, or wow. something um, because like someone wow. had dared tell him to like, he was like threatening his girlfriend and then the other guy who was in the there was like multiple people staying in the the, the house like a flat chair type thing and we were on the top floor and they were on the bottom floor but then this guy shouted out like um leave her alone or i'll there was this whole big threat thing going on through the door but then he actually tried getting in like smashing his glass and getting inside like some kind of like shining wow. thing and <laughs> we did step through the whole thing until towards the end we slept through the initial bit and we got woken up they were like what do we do he's gone away but he says he's coming back what do we do and like we were slightly older than everyone else in the house so as that we slept through so we just died if you come in and got us all but like we were like what do we do and i was being a bit of a sort of coward about the whole thing so hiding around the door it's like don't have to have to <laughs> and my girlfriend wants to go talk to him like, no, like hide her away um and um but that kind of experience and the way you can feel in those actual scenarios even just being adjacent to it this is a very like scary mm. and kind of weird like sort of sickening of, yeah and the tone of how something like the babadook feels to watch or Midsommar or things like that, it's far more accurate to kind of emotions you might feel in such a situation than like a detective drama. Like you don't, like that's, that's what you would feel like in that in those kind of scenarios. Like you feel like something like out otherworldly is going on almost. And so I wanted to kind of mm. grab onto those feelings in terms of how I was depicting things here, because there's a sort of, um, it doesn't really spoil it in that this sort of throughout the, the book sort of tangles with, although it seems like a police investigative thing, I'm sort of not entirely comfortable with the, 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 the titling because though it clearly plays around with that genre it's also as much about kind of um exploring uh breakdown of authority and how sort of society is trying to control what's going on with that in a way it can't quite um deal with and mm. contain um as it is other stuff um so um yeah so that that was those real life experiences also quite quite influential to um there's also lots of stuff about car crashes and stuff in my rating as well which as i said you know i got hit by car and various other things going ah. as well. so I suppose that's also kind of influential as well so there's stuff happening with cars um it was also more recently actually interestingly um this was after the book came out but i was a uh, we were first up behind an actual car crash in our area where the guy later died or one of the people but that oh, was fairly crikey. kind of horrifying as a scene as well because like um uh like a kind of tight corner at night kind of uh, not quite sure what happened but um it it, interestingly like in terms of my future writing and stuff like that but the, the tone of how even that felt when a crime unadmitted but just something horribly out of the ordinary happened um that's sort of akin to the stuff i've been trying to do in my writing already in terms of making you um whether it's necessarily because some people and it, they're very enjoyable kind of classic detective structures um so people may not necessarily want this kind of more kind of disorienting kind of um thing all the time you know sometimes you just want a normal detective mystery but i'm mm. definitely trying to at least um emotionally realistically more than anything like get those feelings into my writing and the way i i treat these topics um and kind yeah. of trying to evoke some sense of what i might have felt in some of those types of situations was I that guess. 
a tricky thing to to live with in your head because I imagine keeping those thoughts in your head of uh, and trying to push your your thoughts into that uneasiness and and next to some of those situations you've seen before that have unsettled you that sounds like an unsettling place to be by definition I think so I think I think I mean it was interesting I was talking to someone about this the other day about like my writing style and they were asking me like someone I was working with they were asking me like are you how are you approaching things what do you do and different things and they said that um they said more so they felt more so than other writers they didn't it this isn't necessarily like it's going to sound like compliment it, it is sort of compliment but it's not in that <laughs> it, it means something quite specific they said you'll they feel like i was driven by stuff that quite excites me um obviously everyone's driven by stuff that excites them but like i'm very much so driven by that in terms of what i'm writing so even as much as structure and theme i find it very hard to write if i'm not like interested in it in a kind of um uh thematic or kind of stylistic way like what am i doing here what am i doing with this thing what's my almost my motivation for writing this scene what am i trying to explore mm. or play around with here um and if the scene is just doing something mechanical so it's just like there because i need to bridge this bit to this bit plot wise i find it almost impossible to write it's so hard to do Whereas if, for example, um, so a governing, so it's fairly early on in 16 Horses, so it's not um, a spoiler, but there's a there's a character called Michael who's sort of a carriage rider on the beach in 16 Horses, and he's sort of mentioned a few times. Um, and um, he is kind of questioned by the police a little bit early on because he, he owned one of the horses and he's, he's got kind of a slightly unsavory past. Um, but there was um, uh, a chapter where it sort of goes into his perspective a bit, where he goes to the supermarket and then he goes somewhere else and then he gets questioned. And that was going to be a chapter about, initially in my notes, it said sort of like George interviews Michael, sort of like the note for like that bit, or he gets interviewed. And like, that was just the idea of that, especially because you have to think about what the reader already knows or doesn't know, and you're just going to be told a bunch of stuff that you know. If, in a film, and it's, I'm often guided quite a lot by film and stuff for kind of thinking the film that would be dealt with by, you wouldn't even necessarily hear it, you just see it, like a clip of them talking or him going to an interview room and like a cut. Whereas it's quite hard to yeah. do stuff like that in a book in terms of, um, but like you, you're not interested in seeing that actual scene. No one cares. Um, or at least I don't care. Um, so I have to find how do I execute that in a, in a way I like. So I decided to um, have him explore the environment we'd already seen because we hadn't really had a character. So functionally, I was like, we haven't really had a character like explore the environment ah. as much with that thing. So he's exploring a bit. So there's a bit of that's fun because he's moving through the, the place. Um, and then, especially in the supermarket, um, it's like, what? how do I feel about being in a supermarket? What can I remember about being in a supermarket? Can I think of any times I felt emotional in a supermarket? Are certain questions I will ask myself once I've got the setting? Um, and there was actually, in that he drops a kind of a bottle of uh, alcohol. Um, but it says he goes to the spirits at the back, which is fun as well, uh, right? Because yeah. it's sort of like a, he goes to the spirits. And it's like, because the book's so weird, you're like, spirits? And it's like, you go to like the awkward <laughs> stuff. Um, that was fun, kind of playing around with. Um, I got like a, I think I got a question once in terms of No Man's Sky stuff from a translator. Because there was a line that said something like, the the mech priest administers the vehicle's mass or something like that and the translator was like do you mean mass in a kind of like physical sense or in like a metaphysical sense because it said priest and i was like both and i was like i'm quite hard to translate things because i was like all oh, the spirits of that because i'm quite like a fun fun thing to do um but then um he drops it and he's kind of quite upset about it and then they try and make him pay for it anyway but he's like i didn't drink it and it's like we've got you on film and he's like why do you have me on film and there's very much people not kind of talking different frames and that there's a element of if I someone said they were filming you'd be like why are you filming me but like if it's CCTV that makes perfect sense because we all accept that and know that so it's a bit of an alienation from what you, you 
you know, like things you normally accept going on in that scene. Um, but like I, for example, dropped a bottle of whiskey in a shop, not in quite the same, like I'm an alcoholic and I was going there to like drown my sorrows about my dead horse thing. I just went to go buy a bottle of whiskey and just my shopping. I dropped it very surprised to find they were very nice about it. They gave me a free one. I left. So I had a very different experience to this man. in the novel. Yeah. But the feeling of dropping something like that, like what's going to happen? And like, you're always scared when you're younger, especially about like, knocking things over in shops and like that kind of embarrassment is quite relatable as a thing. And I felt strong feelings about it. So it gives me something interesting to write about and challenge and explore in that scene which also does the job of a scene not just being about he gets arrested it's like uh yeah uh, it's my statement on I, I was advising this with um people getting into games writing actually some people who get into games writing are a bit like oh you know i just want to work on like the last of us and you know these acclaimed things you know i'm not going to work on like my little pony or so, you know or so, whatever <laughs> the thing that they like or don't like is and like not only is that obviously you know like there's a, there's a lot of kind of creative opportunities and things you may not think is exactly what you want to do artistically. And um, I, in terms of like preciousness about material, I, I sort of one time I had to write about um, someone who like dives for kind of like valuables in like rivers in Victorian England or something like that briefly for like a tiny little side quest or something like that. And the way you can view that is even if that's not like something I'm like majorly into, I'm a bit more interested in that now actually, don't talk about it, but like if it's sometimes I wasn't like majorly interested in that, that is my opportunity to do my statement on maybe on, on the Victorian uh, river diving stuff. Like this isn't the artistic yeah. challenge of this moment, I go to fully go for that and stuff like that. So I've tried to sort of take that mentality to those individual scenes of being like, I'm going to go for it. This is something about supermarket now. And um, particularly in the editing phase, I find um, you, I, pumping up material often works best in kind of exploring like what's the core going on here like with this bit let's yeah. do something with that rather than just leaving it innocuous um is something i'm interested in so yeah yeah I, you, I could i could feel in the book as well that you were playing around with style particularly you know there are some chapters which are just kind of text message exchanges between people and even um, on the more sort of normal uh, air quote uh, chapters, there are still lots of almost like mini chapters there. There's quite a lot of, you talked about the the filmic way of kind of cutting away and just showing mm. things. It, it kind of felt like that actually when you were talking about it. Anyway, um, so 16 Horses um, came out, I think first time in April 21. Was that yeah, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, on the hardback. And then it's recently come out um, in paperback. Um, and I was watching the paperback release uh, particularly closely because, you know, because I'd read it and stuff. And I kept seeing pictures on your Twitter feed of you, you know, outside Waterstones, thumbs up with another like window display or something. <laughs> I was never quite but sure how to post. So I was always like, I was always like doing different things, especially as I was getting really tired doing that like, nonstop. Like, it was really exciting. But uh, so I was just like, I eventually started doing like, all these increasingly bizarre poses and just saying, pick whichever one you like for the photo. <laughs> There's a lot of Waterstone shops, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. that's a lot of windows. Um, but, you know, on that, that, a big company like that or a big shop like that, you know, featuring your book um, and, you know, they're incredible reviews and, you know, not necessarily that my review uh, counts in the same as some of the ones that are printed on the book, but it's a wonderful book. It, like, it's an obvious candidate for one of the books of the year. Um, you know, I don't have any reluctance in saying that. Um, presumably then it's done quite well, you know, has this, what's that been like for you, you know, from waiting for those initial kind of reviews to come in to seeing you know to getting the call from your agent to hear how it's done commercially and then the effects of that commercial success if if there was you know what what's that whole thing been like 
Yeah, so I mean, it's been it's been kind of really interesting in that there's certain things that you, I mean, on on a basic level, it's very good because it means I can continue doing kind of novels and the kind of writing I want to do, um, and it means that you know, there's a proven market for that kind of style, and it, you know, it's a bit it's 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 slightly out there in terms of stuff it's doing, but it's been responded to. So that's very good um, on 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 that level because there's a there was a phrase um, in sort of publishing and stuff in terms of there's there's quite a gulf between sort of um, it's very hard to get published anyway in terms of traditional publishing, but then there's kind of like kind of high up on the list stuff. And then there's stuff that's not given very much in the way of advances. And in the in between the mid list that there used to be is, is increasingly mm. shrinking. There's, either it does well or it sinks kind of often with stuff. Not always, but but kind of happen. Um, so it's, and you hear a lot of horror stories before, like if you, if you're sort of a debut novelist, you sort of go on these things, you read all these articles about how, oh, I didn't sell well, so I was never allowed to write a book again type stuff. Or I had to write, on, um, some people have to write under pseudonyms afterwards and they present them as a debut oh, again wow. and stuff. So there's almost, in, initially, there's almost just a sense of relief of like, oh, cool, cool. Okay, this, this childhood dream can continue and I can still call myself Rip Buchanan and <laughs> that kind of stuff um, yeah. on one level. Um, on the other level, there's something incredibly strange about the experience of, of stuff, which I didn't really find with video games, but I did find here i think because with the video games it's it it was something about it was different to and it's weird because with the, with some of the games i've worked on like categorically like like millions of people have played the kind of no man's sky content i've done and i think partly although my name is on it and stuff it's it's the team and the team have done stuff as well with the story elements and we're all doing it together and so on and there's an element of kind of like where i don't i think partly because i'm doing it for someone else sort of ip and so on as well i don't take it quite as personally the good or the bad like i mean i i really like yeah. the stuff but it's but with this it's so personal and so much my, my name and everything it's so much like the archetypal thing i wanted to do from when i was young that it's a bit of a kind of psychologically strange experience whether it goes well or not and i've heard this from other authors as well in terms of like um and i, I definitely had a problem especially from back from freelancing games with like too much overwork like working non-stop and being overly obsessed with career and writing and so on and so I've, I, when this book came out, it's interesting, but it's sort of like when you finally achieve the thing that was your dream, the, the very specific phrasing of the dream from when you were younger. So obviously game stuff is a dream come true, but it's not the specific thing that I thought of when I was 12 or 13. Um, um, yeah. There is a sort of a bit of like what next type moment, like in terms of like, um, because mm. and I was reading about this the other day, it's called, um, there's another little fact for the viewers in terms of like things, it's called like the hedonistic treadmill. And it was basically a psychological phenomenon that happens. Wow where when you achieve things or achieve goals you feel happy for a bit and we've all had this but then that very quickly fades and then what's next is sort of the question and it's almost like you need to you're becoming acclimatized to it and you need more and more stuff to keep that going if that's uh... how you're fueling stuff and i've definitely been a bit like not sat down and smelt the kind of daisies or roses or whatever the expression is um, as much as I should have done, especially last year when the book coming out, I was very much like, what can I do to help the book? What do I need to do now? Not just relaxing and taking in. So the payback launch was a nice thing, not only for kind of um, being able to really take it in. And it was a bit different because we'd go around stores, whereas before, because it was just out of the, the earlier phase of the pandemic, we couldn't really visit places. But also it was good yeah. in that I, I put a lot of work into sort of my mental health and like um, my activities and life surrounding my books and career over the past year. So it was nice in that I, I wasn't quite as, I was still quite concerned and probably a bit too needy in emails from various people, but I was a lot less kind of like um, consumed, ironically, in terms of the word, I guess the new book's called consumed. I was a bit less taken over by by the, by the what was happening in terms of I was really pleased about it, really happy. But like I wasn't, I was still able to sort of engage in my new hobbies and kind of new friendship circles developed because I, I moved a few years ago and, you know, a lot of people I knew were from further away. 
And so it was very nice sort of seeing the kind of internal difference in myself between the two different kind of time periods, I guess, of, of the two different releases. Um, and um, yeah, so, I mean, that was, that was pretty good. And I've also now sort of, um, it's been interesting because like once it comes out, you get the really good reviews, you get people saying that like, everyone always says like, don't look at Amazon. And I was like, oh, why should you look at Amazon? Like there'll be useful feedback there. And it's like, don't look at Amazon. It's all the thing. Especially because like, there's some books I really enjoy as well. And you read them and just like, everyone's just like really attacking, especially on Amazon, not so much other websites, but like, everyone just goes for it. So I was like, okay. Um, but um, I finally, um, I think you can tell people stuff like that, but you have to sort of go through it yourself as an experience in order to like, understand yeah. so like i don't go on amazon now but whereas you couldn't have stopped me like a, a while back um but um it's it's sort of gone full circle now and that now i'm sort of um i'm sort of in that phase of like uh i guess you know they say with like um in lots of these batman adaptations we've briefly talked about batman before the before the, the the podcast um is um you know the kind of days are he's doing it because his parents died he's got trauma about his parents death and like he needs to sort of face up to that but there comes a time in, in a lot of the different adaptations and in the source material where it's like, is he still doing this because his parents died years ago or, or does he just want to help people now and, and sort of like um, doing this because he wants to do this as opposed to, and a lot of the adaptations, even as, yeah. I think even the most recent one sort of deals with that shift of kind of like why someone's doing something versus like what they're then doing. And so to analogize between myself and Batman um, in a completely non-humble <laughs> kind of manner, I personally, though, I think that Batman's a menace, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, to analogize between myself and Batman, um, there's sort of a shift between doing it because you know i was praised for doing stories when i was 12 and i i as 12 years old said i shall become the batman i should become a novelist to doing it because <laughs> i enjoy it I, I there's experiments i enjoy there's topics i enjoy writing about um and um uh you know like as i was saying like with the stuff with the um the comedy writing and there's all those different interests as well doing it because this is something i love to do um and um like i really enjoy writing i really enjoy learning and i enjoy sharing material and stuff and kind of transitioning from i have achieved my dream phase to i am now a writer because that's a big difference in terms of like uh, aiming mm. to do something to just doing it it's a very different experience and so um there's been a lot of kind of things exploring with that and i'm um, and yeah and the fact that it's done um uh, done pretty well uh, obviously helps then with that um as a sort of an ongoing pursuit although it does sort of i was talking to someone about that. i was like oh how do you you know you know you don't understand my first book i really want it to do well i really hope it does well otherwise i won't be able to do this again and they said they get that but some more experienced writers were saying this doesn't go away because you sort of you don't have no one ever really apart from the very very big 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 people you don't get like a 10 book contract unless you're like james Patterson. you tend to get two to three book contracts so when you get towards the end of that contract you just sort of freak out again about whether you're going to get another contract and stuff because we're all writers and yeah. we're all very needy kind of emotional people so <laughs> um but yeah the the addition of playing Magic the Gathering in my spare time and such hobbies now means I, I don't care as much about that now because I have to try and win my Magic the Gathering tournament or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Greg, you've been fantastic. I've just got a few quick questions. Sure. Um, and I realise I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, but they're quite nice, light questions that I ask everyone. So the first of these is first game. What was your first game? Um, and that could be a video game or it could be a different kind of game. What that I played? Video game. Yeah. So Aladdin on the Sega Mega Drive, I'm pretty sure, was the first one I was really into. Okay. Um, and then the first kind of sort of PlayStation era game, I guess, is a slight, slightly different uh, thing, would be Driver or Final Fantasy VII, I think, were about the same time as well. So there were slightly different okay. eras of game, but yeah, those were my, my early ones. Okay, the next one, I think you've answered, um, but what was the last game you played? Oh, Elden Ring. Yeah, I've been playing Elden Ring quite a lot. Um, and I just... 
I've sort of um, just got killed General Radan, I think is the way it's known to pronounce the stuff, which is an amazing okay. encounter. So uh, they, they talk about Radan a lot, so you know you're going to see him at some point, but the way they do that as a set piece, it's very different to anything I've seen in Souls so far, and it's very fun as an encounter and kind of oddly joyous. Like, it's kind of hard to say a boss fight is joyous in these games, but it added something new to the palette. It was very good, so, so I enjoyed that. Fantastic. And this is the slightly trickier one, but um, which is your favourite game? I hate, I'm sorry, I, I freak out and collapse in everyday life when I'm asked my favourite something because I was like, I can't do something <laughs> I think currently, why don't we say right now because um, for in this period of time uh, where I'm in, in my current inclinations, I will actually be very kind of uh bad and just say dark souls actually um in that it's um it's one of those things where i think the series has certain heights in other areas and stuff it's like the difference in the different toy stories like different toy stories do different things well and stuff but in terms of discussion of the toy stories although toy story 2 and 3 has certain emotional highs that like uh, or certain things that it does that the other one doesn't do there's something about the first that's kind of iconic and perfect in mm. itself and the way it's all done there's no low points it's very works together and cohesive and dark souls one has a certain cohesiveness of um tone and location and design that i think nothing else in the series quite has not that it's necessarily trying to um but like there's something that works just really uniquely about that that um i think it's quite neat um Eldering is sort of the opposite in that it's obviously just like boom in terms of like it's it's scope and and areas and stuff in a, in a way which it's sort of interesting that Dark Souls sort of influenced the um, sort of so many online multiplayer mechanics. And I wonder how Elden Ring will influence open world design going forward and stuff. But um, yeah, um, yeah, Dark Souls 1, I will say, for my, my current favorite game. Fantastic. Well, that's it. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank, thank you, you particularly uh, to Greg for joining us today. Cool. Great. Um, see you all in two weeks' time. Goodbye for now. <laughs>